0: From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. The State of Our Union is about 80 minutes long. It is the day after Donald Trump's first official State of the Union address, and we're all still dissecting the speech a little bit. Helping me digest my State of the Union experience is Ben Terrace. He's a national political reporter for the Washington Post and a good friend joining me in studio. Ben, welcome to political theater. Thanks for having me. So uh, last night, before the president even arrived, uh, you and I were sort of jostling for position at uh, it, it. It actually, literally, is a red carpet uh, sort of thing. It's not a. It's not a metaphorical red carpet leading into the House Chamber through Statuary Hall. It's an actual red carpet. Uh, what are some of the things that stand out to you? Because this is really where the theatrics of the State of the Union come in. Come into play.
1: Yeah, I mean, it had, like you said, it had the feel of of a red carpet event where there were, you know, velvet ropes that were. Uh, kind of partitioning off the press from the people who were going to be going into the State of the Union. The camera crews got there seven, eight hours early to set up shop. Uh, they were really kind of hoping for, and we talked about this a little, kind of the end of uh, season one of the Trump show. So they wanted to be around for it to see what was going to happen, if it was going to have the theatrics of some of Trump's kind of you know crazier moments or not. And, uh, you know, in the end, it didn't really quite have that. But beforehand, there was a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety, a lot of people getting excited. A lot of hype. A A lot of hype. hype. There was a lot of hype. We were all excited for the the big finale. Yeah. I mean, everyone wanted to know what was going to happen. And so... You can, you know, the way that it works at the Capitol, and, and your listeners probably know this, is you can kind of just show up as press, and you can wander around, and you can find members of Congress, you can find staffers, and just kind of talk to them about what they're expecting. And you know, the people I talked to were like, "Oh, you never know what's going to happen. He could go <laughs> off script at any moment. He could be off the cuff. You know, he could bring his A game. He could totally bomb." Uh, and so, it, it the way that we thought about this was. Okay, what, what, are, what kind of political theater is he going to bring? And he did bring political theater. It just wasn't exactly kind of the Trump show as we know it.
0: You mentioned uh, earlier, before we started recording, uh, this this will be in the Criterion Collection directors of the <laughs> podcast uh, that it usually is not the season finale of something that is the be- that constitutes the best show, uh, even though they do kind of go into overtime like this State of the Union, when uh, almost an hour and a half long. It's the penultimate show, the second to last show where you 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 there are the big reveals. Uh, what would that be, you think, uh, at, at at in in this at this stage of the Trump show?
1: Yeah, the last episode usually is where you kind of wrap everything everything up and you kind of remember all the things that happened and you kind of tied in a bow and he's like, you know, come back next season and we'll, and we'll do it all again.
0: Four pillars of
1: immigration uh, reform. Yeah, right? exactly. R- right. Just to remind Riveting you. Riveting stuff. Sort of like previously on. <laughs> um, I don't know. There were so many moments in the, in the last few weeks and months that really stand out as Trump going off the rails. I mean, there's the, the comments that he made about African countries being shitholes. There was... Um, Or shit houses. I mean, it's
0: either one, really, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. There was Stormy Daniels, you know, a porn star that uh, supposedly had an affair with him, maybe spanked him with a copy of Forbes magazine. You know, this kind of stuff that was just insane. (laughs) And so there was almost no way that the State of the Union could live up to any of that because it is a prepared speech. It is in Congress. He's done it before. And every time he kind of gives one of these speeches from a teleprompter, he doesn't look that different than an average politician would look giving a speech in front of a teleprompter. There's not that much you can do to really stand out in terms of, you know, theatrics and, and wildness.
0: The, the, uh, this is not Trump coming back from Mexico, like to Phoenix and like talking about Joe Arpaio and throwing red meat to the crowds. That seems to be where he is, is very much in his element. But that's, you know, to again, to just torture the metaphor. Uh, that's like midseason stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you
1: shouldn't, be too surprised by his ability to give a State of the Union uh, address that that seemed pretty normal. I mean, he gave a joint a, a, sesh, a speech to the joint session of of Congress right. this time last year. Not technically a State of the Union, but the same basic right. idea. And as soon as he gave it, he sounded like a normal-ish politician, and then all of a sudden the pundits went crazy for it. You know, the easiest mark for a con artist is really like a pundit or people who want to believe something, and they all <laughs> wanted to believe so badly that he was going to be a normal president. Here that, comes the pivot. Yeah, the big pivot. He's being presidential, which really does not mean anything. I, if I believe
0: one of the lines from that address was, it is time to put our petty differences and insults right. aside or something like right. that. Right, and
1: <laughs> since then there's been what, you know, uh, Pocahontas has been spouted out a million times. He's still, con- what... Dickie Durbin, Crying Chuck, I mean, there's a lot of petty differences that have not been put aside. But people wanted to believe, and so they called them presidential. And uh, when I talked to folks, especially Republicans beforehand, they, they all reminded me of this. They said, Look, everybody last time expected something. They all had written his, you know, they had written their their stories ahead of time that he was not going to be able to to rise to the moment. And then he blew them out of the water. He brought his A-game, is what one member of Congress told me. He said, look, expect him to do the same thing. And I, I kind of did. I mean, it, it's not it's not that hard to imagine that they had a goal to keep him kind of, Acting the way that a president should act right. for, what do you say, 80 minutes? And, right. he, and I think he mostly did. Does that mean that he is now going to be presidential? Again, a term that doesn't mean anything. He is technically president, so he is presidential by definition. Right. But is he going to act, uh, you know, as a normal politician would for even the next day? No. And as as people pointed out, as he was leaving the State of the Union, somebody asked him to release the memo, which is a controversial. Uh, thing of, This it,
0: FBI memo, this memo that Devin Nunes and the Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee have drafted saying the FBI and the Justice Department may have compromised their own investigation of, of the Russia stuff. And right. it's
1: very controversial about whether or not it should be released. Somebody asked him to release it from, you know, one of these guys who hogs the aisle and gets there early so he can have a selfie with the president. Ask the president, you know please release the memo and he said yes 100%. 100%. 100%. So at that point it's like, oh. And he hadn't read it at that point. Yeah, that, I mean that's not what that's not what you'd expect from somebody because he didn't have a teleprompter in front of him to tell him exactly what to say in that moment. And maybe he did maybe he wanted to say that, but it certainly was different from the tone that he had given everybody for the last hour and a half.
0: One thing that about these states of the union is, I mean, they really have sort of evolved, you know, the first, you know, boatload of presidents. They just delivered them as written messages. The Constitution doesn't even say you have to do it once a year. They just say that, you know, from time to time, the president shall apprise the Congress of the state of the union. Woodrow Wilson was the first one to sort of trek up Hill in, in modern times every once in a while you know a president will just send a written message jimmy carter was the last one in 1981 uh, after he'd lost re-election but he delivered a state of the union harry truman you know in 1946 delivered a written message com- coupled with his budget request so it's this is i think the printer i started printing it 2 days ago it's still printing <laughs> uh, out in out in the uh, in the newsroom and uh, but they, they seem to have evolved. It's not just the State of the Union. It's also requests for the coming year, uh, as Trump did with immigration, with trade, uh, with infrastructure. I mean, these these issues that Congress theoretically should you know deal with at some point. There are some you know some are approaching deadlines, some aren't um and then also there's the there's like the sort of the telethon kind of moments right where they they recognize the guy who defected from north korea and the cop who adopted a baby who from a heroin addict and 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 these these moments it all it seems to be gathering into more of like a hodgepodge than just a a straight speech did you get that feeling that there's just too much going on in this speech
1: yeah but i will say though i felt like there was more of the latter there was more kind of pointing out people of you know who you couldn't you couldn't possibly say we're not patriotic or pointing out people who you couldn't possibly say were not heroic and he told a lot of stories and and he told really powerful narratives and i think he leaned very heavily on that and i think there was maybe a little less policy than you would <laughs> get in a normal state of the union uh that's kind of what his presidency has has been about he kind of you know shoots from the hip on policy a lot of the time and he doesn't necessarily stick with one policy as his you know objective for for very long so on the one hand he kind of told a story about america and and it's almost a nationalist kind of story. You know, we have to protect ourselves from other countries. You know, from North Korea or from you know gangs that have been uh, started by people who came in illegally. Um, and so there wasn't a ton of talk about policy itself, but that does still hint at you know where he stands on policy. Right. I mean, we're in the middle of a of a negotiation right now in in Congress about uh, whether Dreamers, whether undocumented children, uh, people who came over as children, are are able to to stay in the United yeah. States. And I think that this speech probably made it harder to negotiate in a way because he made it sound like, you know, he said there's one line that really stood out, which was Americans are dreamers, too, which is a really good line. Right. But it's sort of somebody pointed out on Twitter is sort of like the all lives matter of of the speech, which is it's a good line. You can't say it's not true, but it does also show his policy position on on something that's being negotiated right now. Right. And so one of the goals of of the State of the Union is to Build coalitions so we can move forward, and the question is, was he able to bring any Democrats, you know, on board for the negotiations that are happening right now? It's probably tough. A- afterwards, I heard a lot of Democrats say, "Look, it was a fine speech, but we know where he stands on all the policies, and he doesn't stand with us. And so he can say what he wants, but until he puts forward a proposal and sticks with it instead of being a jello-like negotiator." It's going to be really difficult to, uh, you know, have agreements.
0: Yeah. And no, it, it did strike me that in the midst of talking about, you know, he wants fair deals in, in trade, you know, which that, that's, that's something that most Democrats would like sort of agree with or with infrastructure that it shouldn't take 10 years to get a permit. We built the Empire State Building in, in one year or immigration. The shout outs to the, you know, the, the sort of heroes and, and patriots in the crowd started early, uh, which also might have extended the speech. The speech itself may not have been 80 minutes of talking, but it's certainly when you mix in, you know, kind of applauding people who are, you know, applaud applause worthy, it extends the whole thing. And that, that seemed to be that one of the big differences, like you said, there was a lot more of that. And it was kind of peppered throughout the speech itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump understands the power of a good visual, right? I mean, that he used television better than most people when he was running for, for president. He was on television for years. His name is all over, you know, products that are either his or not even necessarily his. He understands how to tell a story using visuals. And, and you know, that he he did that in this speech. Again, the State of the Union is one of these things that, like, especially in D.C., people go crazy for a lot of attention. You know, it's got all it's the, the Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl. But then does it actually make a <laughs> huge Like, I can't remember a line from anyone's State of the Union pretty much ever. I barely remember any from Trump's and it was last night, you know, <laughs> and and I, I think that's kind of going to be the case for, for most of these things, which is a lot of hype. And then in the end, whatever happens today will end up being more important
0: presidents typically look to pick up some bipartisan victories at at some point (laughs) uh we're in a midterm year uh the president's party usually you know need need some wins and that means you need democrats to support uh, again, back to our TV metaphor. If, if this is season two that we're entering of, of the Trump show, how does he pick up new viewers? Uh, in, in immigration, we've got a very sticky debate. Uh, you know, he prefaced the, the, the pillars of his immigration sort of proposal by talking about a, a family who's, you know, had fa- lost family members to MS-13 gang members. Kayla and nieces murders. Many of these gang members took advantage of glaring loopholes in our laws to enter the country as illegal, unaccompanied, alien minors and wound up in Kayla and Nisa's high school. You know, it, it it was this moment that didn't really pick up a lot of democratic support. And then he also talked about the opioid epidemic and attributing that to drug smuggling. And the problem there being the opioid epidemic is primarily prescription drugs. These are coming in from, you know, Pharmaceutical companies in the United States. Joe Manchin, who's state of West Virginia he's running for re-election and he's close to Trump, is you know dealing with this. His guest last night was Jan Rader, who's the Huntington C- City Fire Chief and deals with opioid you know overdoses all the time. Like, what kind of what does that say about him? Him reaching out to a new audience, Ben?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was at Trump Tower when he announced that he was running for president. When he came down that you know golden escalator and. He got on stage in front of all the American flags and said, you know, Mexico, they're not giving us their best people. They're bringing rapists and they're bringing drugs. And, you know, some of them, I'm sure, are good people, too. Uh, and that was kind of an off-the-cuff line that that seemed like it was what he believed. And this sort of was the kind of more poetic, presidential, speech-like version of the same thing. I mean, now he's talking about MS-13. He's talking about drugs. He's, he's talking about actual issues and and kind of couching it in in the language of of somebody giving the state of the union with a- actual examples of things but it's a similar idea which is look if you think about people coming into this country i want you to realize that a lot of those people are gang members and they're bringing drugs and so i think democrats in the audience they heard that and it probably reminded them oh this is the same guy that we've always been dealing with it it doesn't matter if he talks like a politician. What matters is what does he want to accomplish. And so for all this theater that happens, the State of the Union, and that happens in politics in general, we all get really interested in that. We get interested in the palace intrigue and, and, you know, the way that he says things in his tweets. But if you're a politician, if you're you're a member of Congress, really what you care about is the policy, because you got to vote on something, you got to put your name on something, you got to make some legislation, and then you got to tell your people what you voted on and made happen. And so I think that that speech is just going to kind of, you know, make them roll their eyes and say, well, we haven't we haven't gotten anywhere with, with this guy.
0: Well, we will uh, certainly keep tabs on it. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap up. And thank you so much for joining us on Political Theater. Anytime. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please, pretty please. Rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com. Find us on Twitter at CQ now or at RollCall. And definitely follow Ben on Twitter at BTarris and read his stories in the Washington Post. Thanks for listening.